0: Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Leader and Kentucky.com. Well, as everybody knows, Kentucky basketball season came to an abrupt end last Thursday when the Wildcats were upset by St. Peters, 85-79 in overtime in the first round of the NCAA men's basketball tournament in Indianapolis. It was just the tenth time that a number two seed has lost to a number fifteen seed, and it ended Kentucky's season at 26 and eight on the year. It's been a week since that loss, so I thought it would be a good time to sit down with my colleagues at the Arrow Leader who cover UK basketball, Jerry Tipton, Mark Story, and Ben Roberts to talk about the season in general, and more importantly, to look look ahead and see what the future holds for Kentucky basketball, and John Calipari. So without any wasting any more time, let's get right to it. My conversation with Jerry Tipton, who covers UK basketball for the Arrow Leader, Mark Story, my fellow sports columnist at the Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com, and Ben Roberts, who covers UK basketball recruiting for Kentucky.com. Okay, I want to welcome into the podcast my colleagues at the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com, Jerry Tipton, Mark Story, and Ben Roberts. Uh, We're going to talk about Kentucky's basketball season, which ended last week with the loss to number 15 seed St. Peter's in Indianapolis in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, We're going to start with, I'm going to start with Jerry. Jerry, it's been a week later uh, since that loss. Are you any less shocked now than you were? last Thursday, or were you shocked last Thursday?
1: Well, I wouldn't go all the way to shocked. I would just say that, uh, uh, I talked to Scott Padgett before the game. He's uh, he's on the staff at Manhattan and they're in the same league as St. Peter's. And he kind of gave me what I felt like was a scouting report on St. Peter's. And when I heard it and, you know, yeah, I had the feeling I thought it would be a competitive game, and at some point, probably in the second half, Kentucky would would take control. But as the game unfolded, and I, I'm kind of waiting for that uh, taking control. Uh, yeah, obviously it didn't happen, and I was very impressed with uh, Saint Peter's, and uh, you know they they have good guard play, which you have to have, and they weren't afraid that you you could just tell by the way they moved around the court, they were not afraid of Kentucky. And uh, so, you know, there's always an element of surprise whenever Kentucky loses, just because you're uh, conditioned to expect that, but uh, expect them to win. But no, I mean, I thought, uh, and I asked Calipari after the game about uh, liking uh, likening uh, St. Peter's to UMass, his UMass teams. And I meant that as a compliment because I remember they were that way, very competitive and unafraid. And uh, so, yeah,
0: I mean, I think at least some credit goes to St. Peter's. What about you, Mark Story? We were sitting there side by side uh, there in the game bridge field outside Indianapolis last week. Are you any less shocked now than you were then? Or, or how do you feel a week later?
2: I was pretty shocked. Not so much that it was a competitive game, but the outcome, I was pretty surprised. And what surprised me, I thought St. Peter's, if you looked at their numbers entering the tournament, they were 34th in the country in Ken Palm in adjusted defensive efficiency. So I thought they would, you know, play Kentucky tough and, you know, being a, a New Jersey, New York you know, core of players. And I thought they would come in unafraid, but I didn't think they could score. They were 260th in the, in the nation and adjusted offensive efficiency entering the NCAA tournament. And Kentucky scored 71 points in that game. And for all the rigmarole about U.K.'s offense and whether it's outdated and all that, that should have been enough to beat St. Peter's. Kentucky's defense in that game was atrocious.
0: Yeah, if you look, uh, and I put this on Twitter this morning, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, eight of their last nine games they gave up uh, one point or more points per possession where and I think in the previous before then they'd only done that six times during the season and Kellen Grady one of the things he said after the game was he thought one of the big things was they just got away from guarding like they had been guarding previously what about you Ben you were back you were watching the game back in Lexington are you uh, any less shocked now than you were then or were you shocked last week
3: uh, I, I was pretty shocked. I think I'm the only one here who picked them to go to the final four and our, uh, our <laughs> expert picks that didn't turn out to be too expert this, this season. Um, so, yeah, I, I was pretty shocked. I, I, I guess I am less shocked now. I think the more I reflect on it, I think the more everybody reflects on it who thought they were a real national title contender going into the tournament, I think everybody was kind of overlooking some things we clearly saw toward the end of the season. Um, but kind of dismissed as, oh, they, they had injuries, they'll get over it. Um, you know, they're just trying to work some things out here. But as Jerry and Mark mentioned, the, the, the aspect of St. Peter's is being unafraid, I, I thought, was the key part. And that's when we see these 15 seeds beat the twos or 14s beat the threes or, or, uh, or Virginia losing to uh, UMBC that year. When you watch those games, those teams are really unafraid and they make shots usually. That's that's usually the combination that leads to those big upsets, and that's obviously what happened Thursday night. And then Mark mentioned the defense, and and I think that's one thing that I think some people thought maybe they got bored at the end of the season or what, and they would just kind of ramp it back up during the NCAA tournament, and that obviously didn't happen. Um, And and I think that's another symptom of, um, you know, John Calipari not having that length and athleticism that, that was such a such a hallmark of so many of his best teams in those earlier years and in, in this era. And he just didn't have that on this team. And and that I think I think that was the number one thing in that game and and especially down the stretch. And had they won that game, it, it would have been even more apparent
0: as as they went on in the tournament. Okay, let's let's talk about John Calipari. Obviously the fans are not too happy with John Calipari right now. 9 in 16 last year, knocked out in the first round <laughs> this year. Mark Story, you you wrote a little bit about that about the after the game about that lack of a rim protector and that lack of length and kind of the transition the program made this year. Uh, what about what about the job Calipari did this year and 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 about, you know, how he's handled the loss?
2: Well, I thought he actually tried to, coming off last year, the 9 and 16 slog that it was, I thought he tried to, I thought he did try to change. I thought he made an effort into the transfer portal to, to add shooting, to, to play faster, to be, you know, a more skilled, but what he paid for that was he didn't have the, the length and the defensive athleticism that, you know, his teams are sort of associated with. You know, he had never lost at Kentucky in the NCAA tournament to a team from outside the quote-unquote Big Seven basketball conferences, which I would count as the Power Five in football, plus the Big East and the American Athletic Conference. And I think the biggest reason for that had been defensive length. Those teams, the, those, in those 13 games, Kentucky had only allowed a team to shoot over 40% twice. You
0: know, they didn't have that this year, and it really bit them. Yeah. St. Peter shot 50% in that game. Uh, what about, what about you, Jerry? What did you think about uh, overall? Obviously Kentucky fans not happy with Calipari, but the job that he did overall this year.
1: Well, I think Kentucky fans generally are not happy. And especially after losing, <laughs> I think that's predictable. And uh, you know, and yes, the, I think uh, one thing that we're not talking about is parity. I think there's a, I think there's a, I've heard coaches say there's a bigger pool of players than there has been, not this year, but trending towards more and more players. And I know Mark said they hadn't lost to a non-power five or whatever, but they beat Davidson that year by five. And that was a game that they didn't make any uh, uh, threes. And they beat Northern Kentucky the year before in the first round, but by nine. It was a competitive game, and I'm kind of looking through this. I remember the Princeton game when Brandon Knight, where that game went right down to the end, and he made a clutch shot. remember the Wofford game. The Wofford game, wasn't that a close game? Yeah, I mean, my point is is that the other teams are not bad. There's not that big spread that I think is expected because when you see the seeding, and, uh, you know, it was a competitive game, which I thought I did, wasn't a surprise to me. And there've been other competitive games like Auburn got beat and uh, there was another team of top two seed that got beat uh, that's escaping my memory right now. But uh, so, I mean, it happens. And, you know, I thought that they, they had trouble with defense, like you guys say, especially uh, with perimeter players. And I'm thinking of Scottie Pippen, 33 and 32 points in the two games. I'm thinking of JT Note of Arkansas that got to the rim again and again. And that was one big surprise for me in the St. Peter's game was that St. Peter's guards, Scott Padgett said, you had to defend those two guards. They were the key. And they both had, they combined for 47 points in that game. And I noticed in the next round, Murray State, really played those guards. You could tell, especially Eater, the, the shooter, they were really conscious of taking away the three from him. And there was a timeout. I'm going on and on here, pardon me. But there was late in the game, uh, Murray State was closing the gap, and St. Peter's called time, and it was a critical time. And they come out, they throw the ball to Eater, and, and Murray's on him. They're not giving him the shot. He passes back to the point guard. And then he cuts to the basket, they throw him the ball, and he has a layup. And it just seemed very smart. I thought they were a smart team. They've been around. They were older.
0: And, you know, they beat Kentucky. Sorry. Okay, talking about parity, uh, Ben, I've heard it. I can't remember who said it this year, but said with the, because of the transfer portal, There are, there may not be a great team in college basketball, but there are more good teams in college basketball because teams can fill their needs with players from the portal. Do you think that that's true?
3: Yeah, I think it is true. And I think it gives, it obviously gives coaches um, a lot more time at the back end of seasons. I mean, in the past, if, if you got to December and your roster, if there were holes in it, it was going to be really, really tough. You might have to take a chance on a Juco guy or just take a chance on a, on an unheralded recruit. Um, there wasn't a whole lot to, to cover that now. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of pick and choose your rosters. We're going to see Kentucky do again this off season. Um, so yeah, I think that leads to more parity in Kentucky's case. I think speaking to Jerry's point, um, not having those star star recruits that John Calipari had again, in those first five or six seasons, I think, Hurts them in games like Thursday night. Um, they they have Oscar Sheeboy, who's an elite rebounder, but there's not a whole lot of elite anywhere else on the court. And in the past, you had a guy like a Brandon Knight who could win a Princeton game for you at the end. Uh you you had guys like Michael Kid Gilchrist who could come up with with huge defensive plays, um, just those elite guys on either end of the court. And usually if you have those guys in, in, uh, in games against lesser opponents, it doesn't get to that point. You're, you're up by 20 points at the end anyway. Um, and they didn't have that uh, on this team. And and frankly, they haven't had that uh, except for a couple of exceptions um, in a few years now. And then, you know, kind of speaking to, to Mark's point about Calipari and coming off last offseason, I do think he, he well, he obviously made some changes. He made changes to the coaching staff, and, and he did go out and get shooting. Um, I'm still not clear how much C.J. Frederick would have played on this team. If he had, then I think that, that does obviously open up a lot of their, of their shooting issues, especially late in the season. But depending on who he's playing for, that, that makes you even less long and less athletic on the defensive end of the floor. So I feel like the way this roster was constructed – Obviously the computers loved it as far as the, the offensive efficiency and 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 the points they were putting up, but it just seemed like kind of a mishmash of styles to me. And it seemed like he was trying to go one direction, but wasn't willing to go all the way there. And and as a result of that, was getting really away from from what his identity of his teams have been in the past, which is that that linked athleticism
0: and 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 just beating you that way. You wrote a story here in the past couple that posted in the past couple of days, uh, where you talked to an NBA draft scout. It was kind of was pretty critical of Cal's offense. Can you talk a little bit about that, and uh, so people can go and find that story?
3: Yeah, Jonathan Giovanni, who um, I actually did not speak to him for this article, but we've talked about this at length in the past. Going back, uh, Hamidou Diallo, I think was the biggest example that that he always brought up to me was just. Um, how outdated, for lack of a better word, uh, Calipari's offense is. And obviously for most of the season, that worked very, very well. They're, I checked again yesterday. They're still number five in the kin and in, in offensive efficiency, and they put up huge, huge numbers against Kansas and Tennessee, North Carolina, a lot of a lot of really good teams, some of which are still playing right now. But his point and others' point, the, I've heard the same point from a lot of the, the NBA types is, There's no spacing. And when you have no spacing, even if you have a guy like Oscar who gets a lot of offensive rebounds, it's not conducive to allowing your guards to play as they're capable of playing. Um, And another one of his points is we're seeing that when guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Hamadou Diallo or right now B.J. Boston's had had a lot of good games in the NBA as a rookie. When they get to the league and they find a little bit more freedom and a little bit more space to operate, they're better players, um, so in that, if guys aren't shooting like they weren't at the end of this past season, there's going to be even less spacing, and the offense is going to turn into the ugly mess that it was Thursday night, and and in some other some other cases down the stretch, and especially in in more recent seasons.
0: Okay, speaking of uh, speaking of NBA, obviously the next question we're going to look forward now is who stays and who goes. Uh, Mark, story. What do you, who do you expect? What do you think the roster is going to look like as far as holdover players?
2: Wow. That's uh, that that's tough. Um, <laughs> that's I, why I came to you first
0: with the tough question.
2: Right. I appreciate that. You're apparently welcome. Damian Collins, if you believe what was, uh, apparently he's leaning toward coming back. I think CJ Frederick will, will be here. Uh, beyond that, I had, I think Jacob Toppin will be here. I worry a little bit about him not being used very much in that St. Peter's game when in fact he was playing well, you know, I think he has a chance to take a big step up. I think it's important to keep him. Um, I think there's a chance severe comes back. Um, I assume Kentucky wants him to come back. Um, NIL money I think would make that possible. If, uh, if, if, that if both sides are mutually inclined to do that. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure on anybody. What about you, Jerry?
0: Any guesses?
1: I really, I mean, you know, I, every year that we go through this, and, and and as Mark pointed out, we got the nil component uh, to factor in. So yeah, the, the the short answer is is I don't know, and I'm waiting to hear. Sounds like John on his radio show, John Calipari made it sound like uh, multiple players have a decision to make. And uh, I guess we'll just have, uh, I don't know. i just have to kind of wait and see uh, how it unfolds.
0: What about you, Ben, especially with Ty-Ty, with Ty-Ty Washington? What are you hearing from NBA guys, or what are you expecting to happen with him? And we'll get into Shaden Sharp here in a minute.
3: Uh, I'm hearing no chance on Ty-Ty. I don't. I hate to put 100% on anything at this point in an offseason, but it's 99, I guess, is, is kind of what, what I'm hearing with him. Like Mark said, I, I would expect Top and Frederick and, and Collins to come back and pass those three and, and Kaysen Wallace and Chris Livingston coming in. I, I, I think it's anybody's guess. I think Severe, um, Keon, and Oscar are all kind of in that 50-50, 40-60, 60-40 range. Um, yeah, I do not expect Ty-Ty back. Um, I've heard this morning things that make me think Dante Allen might be looking elsewhere. Um, and then you've got Bryce Hopkins and Lance Ware, who Lance has really, really close ties, um, to Kenny Payne. So that's going to get interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see Bryce open things up either the way he was not used hardly at all in the last three months of the season, except for the game where he looked like the biggest star on the team and and single-handedly almost won it for him against LSU. So, yeah, I think it's going to be another – you know, we we talked, and I I talked too, about NIL being maybe something that brings guys back and leads to a little bit more roster continuity at Kentucky. And I think we're going to have to see that to believe it at this point because based on what I've heard – it's going to be another off season, like all the rest in the
0: past five or six years. Yep. Big question about Oscar. I mean, it seems like in talking to people around the program, both at the SEC tournament and down and in Indianapolis, they're optimistic that Oscar is coming back because uh, there's also maybe some family considerations. If you can bring his mother over here and so forth. Uh, what, what are you hearing on that? I was hearing probably two weeks before the SEC tournament
3: that, that, it was very very likely that he would be back, um, and then I was making some calls. I think it was actually the day before the St. Peter's game on Wednesday, and I was getting a lot of "eh, I don't, I don't know" from people who were telling me that it was very likely he was going to be back. So um, by that time, the vibe was kind of fifty-fifty. I have heard from from some people tied into the NBA that, that he's very high before the NCAA tournament, he got to like the 30 to 35 range on, on at least a couple teams boards, um, which will be right there in first round territory. So, yeah, I mean, he's got a decision to make. I assume the, well, the smart thing obviously for him to do is going to be to go through the entirety of this NBA draft process, as far as he can go, which it looks like the date's going to be June 1st for the, for the withdrawal. So, I mean, that's still over two months away that, that will probably be, waiting on that decision and, and
0: maybe a couple others. Okay, I want to talk about Shaden and Sharp and, and looking forward to next year, but we'll do that right after this break. Okay, back here with Jerry Tipton, Mark Story, and Ben Roberts, my colleagues at the Herald, Leaver, Herald Leader who cover uh, Kentucky Basketball for Kentucky.com. Uh, obviously, Shaden Sharp you know, hung out there the last part of the season, the early enrollee who uh, came into the program but did not play. We only got to see him in warm-ups. Uh, they stuck with the plan, which I guess was the plan all along that he wouldn't play, Uh, but he's now eligible or could be eligible for the NBA draft. Will he stay or will he go? Let's start with Mark's story. What do you think on the Shaden Sharp situation?
2: Well, it sounds to me like it's trending toward leaving. Uh, I don't have any special insight into Shaden Sharp or his camp, but just you see him being projected as a top 10 pick. If you're going to be a top ten pick, it's hard, you know. You're 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 taking quite a risk, and then coming back, you know. If you have a BJ Boston type freshman season, then you know you play yourself from the top of the draft to you know the bottom of the first round, or even out of the first round. So, you know, I, you know this is not based on anything but just my guess. But I think he's going.
0: What about you, Jerry? Any thoughts on Chaden Sharp? Well, I just uh. uh...
1: I was looking at some of the mock drafts and he was a lottery pick in the, in the drafts I saw. And, you know, that's the objective it seems like for players. Uh, And so uh, just watching him in warmups, certainly I got the idea that he could shoot. He had a nice form on his shot and all of that. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any insight into that either. And I wondered, uh, and I'm speculating here, but I, I thought he, he could play and could contribute, but the key to the team seemed to be chemistry and cohesion. That was talked about a lot. And I wondered how, you know, he would, if he played, he would take minutes away from players and how that would impact the chemistry and so on. So I wondered if that was a factor in him not playing this year.
0: Yeah, I think I think definitely it was. I think Cal, you know, we worked so hard to develop good chemistry with his team after not having a full summer and preseason and all that the year before and how that turned out. I think that definitely played into the decision. What about you, Ben? Well, if you had to guess right now, does he does Shaden stay? And do we see him in a Kentucky uniform next year? Or is he going to be in the NBA or the G League?
3: I would I don't think he'll be in the G league. Uh, I think he'll be in the NBA if he, if he goes uh, unless he's, I I think he'll be in the NBA if he goes, but, and I do think he'll go. Um, And I thought it was telling what, what Kyle said Monday night on his radio show. I feel like he's been at least publicly about two months behind everybody else paying attention to it on kind of what his messaging is on Shaden sharp. And remember two months ago, it was a lot more optimism, um, almost like he was just flat out saying he would be back next season. And on Monday night, it was more of a, of a, will see. And he's got, he's got decisions to make and he, he, and his family need to explore some things. So he has really softened, softened his messaging on his expectations for, for what Shaden Sharp's going to do. Um, you know, I will say I've had a lot, I've talked a, a lot with Dwayne Washington over the last three or four months six months, Um, a year even about kind of what their plans are. And, 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 uh, and he's obviously the guy who uses Shaden's former AAU coach and kind of basketball mentor and and really the guy outside of his family, who's, who's helping him along with these decisions. Um, And he has seemed very sincere going back to last summer and fall about what their plan is and about wanting him to play college basketball games and get And not skipping steps is basically his his message. Um, I don't know that they thought he could be the number five pick when they were saying that in October, which I think he could right now because I think there's some guys in that five to eight range that have kind of slipped off in the last month or two. So it wouldn't surprise me if he went anywhere from five to ten in the draft, and and that's like like Mark, uh, you know, that's really hard to pass up because you could even even have a mediocre year and fall out of the first round in, in college so um, I would be surprised if he's back um, but you know they do look at things a little differently in his camp uh, so I, I wouldn't completely discount it but but yes I, I would be
0: surprised but well, being where I've got you here I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you how, how do you think this is Kentucky's loss how is this going to affect recruiting moving forward
3: I don't think it affects it too much I you know recruits don't even seasons like the nine and 16 season three months removed from that. They had until Duke passed them up there. They had the number one recruiting class in the country for a a time and and recruits and their families and coaches don't look at at kind of the, uh, I guess the small sample size. They look at the bigger picture of what can this coach do for me or what can this program or fan base or what have you uh, do. And as bad as Thursday night's loss was the the fact of the matter is Kentucky is still one of the very, very few blue bloods in college basketball. And depending on who you talk to the number one or or number two destination for, for these five-star recruits. So yeah, I I don't think it really affects it at all. Um, I, I am interested to see how recruiting goes because we've now seen two guys who have signed with the program in the last two years, decommit, which had never happened under John Calipari. He only ever had one decommitment, and that was before a kid signed. Um, and with NIL, I think we're seeing some, some more guys take a longer look at staying close to home and maximizing their NIL potential in their home markets, uh, especially if they know they're only going to be there for a year. Uh, we're seeing some other things related to NIL that they're opening up some things for other teams. So that's another one. I, I think a lot of people thought NIL was a was an automatic win for Kentucky. Oh, they're going to get the, the pick of the litter again, them and Duke. And I don't think that's going to be the case. It, it certainly hasn't looked like it's, it's going to be that so far.
0: Jerry, as you – kept repeating to me after the game on Thursday when we <laughs> we were all talking about how embarrassing it was and how shocking it was. You, as you said, these things happen. You kept repeating. And I went back and looked, and it's true. Uh, in fact, I did a column. He's not the only Hall of Fame coach who's lost as a number two seed to a number 15 seed. Mike Krzyzewski, it's happened to Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Boeheim, uh guys like Tom Izzo, guys like that. Obviously, the fans are unhappy. Uh, do you think I mean, and you hear some talk about, oh, the game has passed Calipari by, that sort of thing. Uh, do you think John's any different now than he was before? Or, I mean, is this just a blip on Calipari's career resume or career path?
1: I, uh, I, I, when you said the game has passed him by, I thought of Adolf Rupp. And didn't they say that, that the game had passed yes. him by? And so, I mean, that sounds like rationalization to me. Uh I mean, he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's won 800 and some games. You know, he knows what he's doing. And uh, But these things happen. It happened to, you guys mentioned Chris Holtman as a possible next Kentucky coach. It happened to him last year. Right. So these things happen. You know, it's Kentucky is special, but not beyond, as, as you know I like to say, Gravity affects Kentucky too. <laughs> that the the way of the game, Kentucky's no exception. They're going to lose games on occasion, like Thursday. Just like everybody is suspect to that, or you know what I'm trying to say, it, right. it could happen. And uh, there have been several games this, in this year's tournament where they where the games were very competitive, and uh, you know the the higher seed or the better seed won, but it was right there. And that to me is what one thing that I always look for is if the game boils down to a four or five minute game, you know, the worst team in the league, say Georgia this year could beat the best team in a four minute game. And that's what I think. I think uh, St. Peter's did that. And they, I would guess their objective was to get it down to the last four or five minutes and then
0: take their chances. And these things, again, I keep saying it, these things happen. What about you, Mark Story? Is the game past John Calipari by?
2: Uh, I know. I mean, they two years ago in the, the COVID year, they won the SEC regular season by three games. So I don't think the game has changed so much in two years that you know he, he can't win. And I think the best news, if you're a Kentucky fan, I went back and looked sort of the history of, of blue blood programs who suffer these kind of losses. You know, Kansas lost to uh, Bucknell in 05 and Bradley in 06 and won the national championship in 08. Louisville lost to Morehead State in 11, went to the final four in 12 and won the national championship in 13. Although I will note those were both vacated. Um, Duke lost to Lehigh in 12 and to Mercer in 14 and won the national championship in 15, and Virginia lost to UMBC in 18, and won it all in 19, so I think the history shows this really doesn't hurt your brand that much, it's just, you know, you know these upsets are sort of what makes the NCAA tournament special, except when it happens to you, and then it's no fun at all.
0: Right. I mean, another example I kind of touched on this in my column was Jay Wright. Jay Wright went six straight years where he never Mm -hmm. made it out of the first weekend. And then he won two titles in three years. Uh, So, yeah. But, uh, you know, Billy Donovan went to the finals in 2000
2: and then lost in the first weekend every year. Right. Subsequent and then won back to back in 06 and 07. I mean, the one thing that we in the media and the fans don't really want to admit about the NCAA tournament is a lot of it is
0: luck. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. The way the ball bounces, you've got to have some breaks to win it all. I don't care how how good you are. Of course, it helps to have talent, yeah. <laughs> obviously. And one thing you know, we touched on this earlier, Ben, is that and you touched on this, and I looked it up from two thousand ten to two thousand fifteen, Kentucky Calipari had produced nine players that were taken in the first ten picks of the NBA draft. They've only had three since then none since Kevin Knox in 2018. Uh, I mean, do you think that's the key for Cal get, just getting back to where he's got to get back to an elite recruiting level?
3: Yeah, I think it's one of the keys because I, it, I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, the the numbers say that his best teams have had those players, and his teams, especially in March, haven't had those players. And and yes, it is it is definitely a whole lot of luck in March, but. It, you, you're a whole lot luckier when you have Anthony Davis and, right. and players like that on your team, because they can make up for, for a lot of shortcomings elsewhere. Um, and those players are hard to find. And, and the last few years have shown that, you know, I think the biggest thing for him is, and this is, is this is probably a little too simplistic, but I, I think he needs to figure out what the identity of, of his program and his teams moving forward are going to be, because I think, I think we kind of knew what that identity was for most of those first several seasons. And these last three or four um, has been, again, kind of a mishmash of uh, of teams that haven't really had any sort of defining uh, elements to them. And, and they seem to shift and change over time. And that is hard when you have a transfer portal that, that allows guys to come and go um, every season. And it is hard when you're not getting the Anthony Davises and Carl Anthony Towns and Brandon Knights and those kind of players. So, um, but as we've all said, he makes close to $9 million a year and these are his problems to
0: figure out and and his questions to answer. Right. Okay. we got to wrap it up, but uh, before we wrap it up, I know we all three, we haven't stopped watching the tournament because Kentucky's out of the tournament. Uh, Let's start with Jerry. Anybody impressed you at this point uh, that you are particularly interested in watching from this point on?
1: Well, I hope people will forgive me for saying this, but St. Peter's. I think, you know, kind of the little engine that could. And uh, I was impressed with how they played against Murray State. And uh, I think I'm thinking about in terms of a story, what a story it would be if they advanced to the Final Four. So that's a a team that I'm really uh, interested in. And uh, looking at, I'm I'm i I'm, I'm also intrigued by Arizona. I know next to nothing about them, but I, I but I'm curious uh, to uh, I'll watch them going forward to see how good they are.
2: What about you, Mark? Story? Well, I'm an insomniac, so I watch a lot of West Coast basketball, and I really like Arizona. Uh, I have, in fact, I picked Arizona, Gonzaga, and UCLA all to go to the Final Four. And they're all still alive. So I'm sort of seeing if the West really is the best.
0: What about you, Ben?
2: Um, I, I still kind of think it might be
3: Gonzaga's year, uh, finally, this year. Um, that, that Gonzaga-Memphis game, it looked like they were on the ropes there. That, that was a really fun game to watch for anybody who saw that. And it also, I think, just kind of showed that, that they can take a shot and they can get bullied around some and, and they have enough pieces and enough unique pieces to 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 kind of go with the flow of whatever game they're put in. So I'm I'm interested to watch them down the stretch. Arizona, like Jerry's, a team that I I got to my bracket and realized uh, I didn't really know much about them because I didn't I didn't see them much this season. So I, I would like to watch more of that.
0: Yeah, I agree with you about Gonzaga. I don't, I don't think Gonzaga's as good as they were last year, but I think they got a better chance of winning it all this year. Um, well, even though Kentucky basketball season is over, there's always plenty to write about. There will be plenty of storylines, as we talked about, with recruiting, with about who stays and who goes. So be sure and uh, follow everybody at the Herald Leader. Uh, follow Jerry Tipton on Twitter at Jerry Tipton. Mark story on Twitter is at Mark C. Story. And Ben Roberts is at Ben BenRobertsHL. And, guys, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, John. Thanks, John.
0: Okay, great. Thank you very much. I appreciate
1: it.
0: See you it. guys. See you. Yeah. Hey, Ben. Yeah. I, I'm gonna... Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay podcast. Again, thanks to my guests, Mark Story, Jerry Tipton, and Ben Roberts. As I mentioned, follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C Story. Follow Jerry on Twitter at Jerry Tipton. Follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Roberts HL. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay IV. Drop me an email, J Clay at Harold leader.com. Remember, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, and our radio podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Uh, Subscribe and leave us a rating review wherever you can. That helps get the word out about the podcast. The basketball season is over, but there'll be plenty more basketball news, especially with basketball recruiting. Uh, We'll be talking to Ben about that on future podcasts. Kentucky football is going through spring practice. We'll have some podcasts leading up to the spring game as well. And the Kentucky Derby is right around the corner. We'll have some podcasts previewing the Kentucky Derby down the road as well. As always, thanks again to everybody for listening. Thanks to my guests, Jerry, Mark, and Ben, and we'll catch you next time on the John Clay Podcast.